<laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Remembering and Reenchanting podcast. My name is Sarah Jolina Wolcott, and I am your hostess on this sacred learning journey of unraveling, unveiling, and becoming more fully alive at the end of the world as we know it. In this podcast, we offer up to you, dear listener, three forms of episodes to support your journey of remembering and re-enchanting. First, conversations with amazing people. Second, storytelling. And third, myth-casting. This episode is a myth-casting episode, where I take a myth that has been around for many generations, told in many different ways, by different people and retell it for our times. Now, the story I am going to tell you has many different beginnings depending upon who you ask. Some say she was pushed by her father standing at the edge of the cliff, for refusing to marry the man he chose for her because she loved another, and there was a risk of shame on the family. Down she fell to the cold ocean, her body settling to the bottom of the sea. Some say she jumped of her own accord, running from soldiers who would have tortured her for the names of the other women in her coven, the ones who had even greater power than she did and knew how to keep men from chopping down trees. Rather than betray her sister, she dove headfirst down into the ocean, a determined smile on her face as she entered her watery grave. Some say the Lord of the Garden cast her out for knowing too much, and then when she fell, she still held the apple in her hand, and when she hit the ocean, the underwater serpents guided her to their kingdom and her flesh became the food for all the underwater creatures, which is why the ocean floor has so much knowledge that we have forgotten. Some say that she fell from another world, and the geese caught her, gently taking her down to the ocean, where the animals awaited the pregnant woman, and Muskrat dove all the way to the bottom of the ocean to find her mud, and then he himself died. And they say she laughed and had a daughter, and her daughter had twins, and the twins created the world, both rivers that run both ways and waterfalls that only fall one way. Usually they forget to say that when Sky Woman died, her body sank to the bottom of the ocean, and the fishes ate out her eyes, and the world underwater became the place of wonder and wisdom and strange songs that vibrated in the people's imagination. And still, others say that she jumped overboard a boat back when the world was flooded because she missed her lover who had not been amongst those lucky enough to find their way to the boat and to her bones, now free of flesh and eyes, were still looking for him in the dark, luminous kingdoms under the sea. However it happened, her body landed at the bottom of the ocean and the creatures of the sea fed on her flesh and her eyes until all that was left was her skeleton, 
and her bones became as white and shimmering as the pearls surrounding her. And there it was that she stayed for many a year, the gentle movement of the deep ocean rocking her in a kind of sleep. She did not notice really how the waters themselves were changing above her. She certainly did not notice the changes on land, how the people were changing with an old hunger growing far, far deeper, until she was on the ocean water no longer. He came because he was hungry. That, and he loved the ocean. So much had been promised him. For as long as he could remember, he had been promised the good life. Food, warmth, comfort, and a woman to share his longings and bring them to fulfillment. Ease, a life of his own. He did not remember a time when he did not love the ocean, and he could not imagine a life of his own without it. He had only been fishing for a few years, having tried other trades with not so much success. The ocean always called to him. He moved close to its shore as soon as he could. Sometimes it seemed to sing to him in his sleep, and he would awaken and go out and listen to the not-so-distant waves. He would catch himself looking at it when he was supposed to be focusing on other things. Yes, it was dirty. The waves brought clamshells and seaweed and plastic bottles and bits of tires. He wished the people would stop polluting the ocean. He took up fishing to supplement his diet, to get more food for himself and his friends and his neighbors. He took up fishing to spend more time on the ocean. He didn't tell everyone that. He thought his friends would laugh at him. He had, after all, some other work in buildings in front of screens. But fishing in the ocean, that was something of an adventure. Other fishermen did not seem to see it as an adventure, or maybe they did behind their gruff appearance. They never talked about being happy. They talked about the day's catch or the waves and the weather. Lots of talk about the weather. He learned to talk about the weather. Rarely did he have a large catch. The other men raised their eyebrows and cheerfully told him to keep going, and he was lucky he had other sources of income. He would sigh and carefully put away his poles and his gear. On the day it all happened, he was not really paying much attention. He had followed what looked to be a school of silver fish into a different direction than he normally went. No one was around him. He did not know, or he, perhaps he had forgotten, that this was a cove where few fishermen ever ventured. A generation ago, they would have said it was haunted. Now they just avoided it, shrugging if anyone asked why this particular cove never saw a boat. He let his boat float to the middle of the cove, looking up at the tall cliffs. No one was there. Not even a bird flew overhead. The water was calm. With a whisper of a prayer, he tacked his line and flung it overboard. He felt, rather than heard, the end of the line catch on something. Surprised and delighted, he reeled it in. It was heavy. He had to work very hard to reel it in. He did not look right beneath him focusing instead at the end of his line, and he, so he did not see the ivory bones shaking, the body slowly rising, shuddering. He did not see what it was until it was before him. The seaweed-strewn, plastic-capped, multiple layers of stuff caught around her, giving her bald head with a few strands of hair and crop seaweed, looking quite terrifying as she stood on top of the water. I gasped. Appalled, 
He rode backwards, turning his boat around as fast as he could, turning the little motor on high, speeding away from her. She ran after him, her great big bones slapping against the top of the ocean, causing their own little waves. He jumped off the boat and ran up the shore. Where was everyone? And still she followed, gobbling up the salted fish left laying out to dry. Her mouth hung open in a gruesome smile and her arms stretched in front of her. He ran up the stairs and around the road, between the corner and that corner and this one, behind his neighbor's hedge and finally into his little home, slamming the door shut and dashing into his bedroom. Finally, he thought to himself he was safe. He heard the door open, although he swore he had locked it, and in she walked. If a skeleton could be said to breathe heavily, then that she was, as he looked at her with wide eyes, and she looked at him, and then she sat on the floor before him, her bones bending awkwardly, as if it had been a long time since she sat on the floor. She sat, and all she did was look at him, and he looked at her. For quite a long time, they stared at one another, the soft sound of the sea waves outside his window, their only witness. As he looked at her, he began to notice the long fishing lines caught in her spinal bones, the bits of plastic stuck to her ribs, the black scrap of tire that somehow lodged into her tabia, the beer bottle bottle holders caught in her kneecap, a bit of plastic straw was wedged into her jaw. For a reason that he could never explain, He moved closer to her. She did not move. Slowly, he began to untangle her. It was a long, laborious job. She had so many bits and pieces and scraps and wires and plastic lines that had become wrapped around her bones. Each one needed to be unknotted and untangled. Sometimes he used a small, sharp, shining knife to cut through the mess, but he was reluctant to do so, not wanting to scar her bones. She already had so many scars. She sat there, occasionally shifting to enable him better access to hip bone or to ankle bone, where he had to get out a towel to rub off the oil that darkened the bone. It was still sticky to the touch. When he was done, he had a very large pile of bits of plastic and tissues filled with oil gunk besides him. Some part of him thought he should empty it. But he was already so tired, so he laid down on his bed and quickly fell asleep. Skeleton woman slowly stretched. She had not felt this way in a long time. She looked at her joints, flexing her fingers and watching her toes wiggle. Gone were the entrapments that she had grown used to at the bottom of the ocean. Had there been a time before she was so caught in so much plastic? Yes, she remembered now, now that her spine was not so tightly bound by fishing nets, now that her ankles and wrists were no longer sticky with oil. Yes, she recalled now what it was like to move freely. After she had stretched and wiggled and rotated every joint, backwards and forwards, around and around, wiggled and stood up and sat down and bent over and leaned backwards and jumped up and down and rotated her hips and kicked her legs high in the air. After all of her exuberant movement, she found herself looking at this strange creature sleeping, even snoring a little bit before her, lit only by the candle at the side of the bed. 
She tinkled and clanked and crawled over to him and sat down next to him and looked at his face. She kept Faye still so as not to disturb him. In sleep, his face softened. He was no longer concentrating. His mind was where minds go when resting. His face was soft, gentle. He could be a child. She realized with a start that a tear was escaping from his eye. We know now what to who. We know not what dream causes a single tear to emerge from man's eye when he is asleep. But always it is a dream of sadness or longing. And that is what happened to the man. Skeleton woman saw the tear glisten in the candlelight and bent her now clean head down, touching the tear to the space between her eyes on her forehead. The moisture from the tear slid down her skull, sinking into her eye sockets and her nose and her mouth, and as it moistened her teeth and the top of her mouth, she drank. She drank and she drank and she drank like she was drinking from a great river, even though it was one tiny tear. And those many eons of being amidst the salt water were finally quenched, and her thirst was, at long last, lessened. As her thirst was quenched, the wind and the sea came over her and through the open window, nearly blowing out the candle, and she reached, recalled some feeling she had almost forgotten. She dipped her bones into the man's chest and she pulled out his heart, beating it as a mighty drum. She banged on both sides of his heart, boom, boom, and she chanted along with her drumming, flesh, 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 flesh. She sang her desire upon his heart and her own body began to enflesh itself once more. Muscles and tendons, veins and skin, hair and fat, chubby hands. She sang for good eyes, and they came. She sang for the moisture between her legs, and it came. She sang for breasts and nipples that could give forth milk, and they came. She sang her body into being through the drumming of his heart. She breathed into the sea air, and the sweetness of salt and water filled her veins with blood. She sang until that blood could flow in her heart body and leave her body at every full moon, and she would still live. She sang until her heart started beating on its own, popping at first the rhythm of a man's heart, and then, finding its own rhythm, she kept singing. She sang unto herself the mysteries of womanhood, and the sigh of the ocean reminded her of how to breathe. When the flesh on her hands was soft and subtle, when her toenails glistened in the light and her body was alive to the subtle feelings of warmth and coolness, she replaced the man's heart. He moved with a start but did not waken, for his music had carried him as well on a deep journey that he would never fully remember, but in which much was returned to him that had once been thought lost. And she lay down beside him. For a long time she simply delighted in his breath against her skin, and her breath against his. It almost seemed that as he breathed in and she breathed out, or was it the other way around? Delighted with herself, she thought she would not sleep, but it is quite exhausting to create yourself, and did not really take Fay long before she drifted into the slumber of the embodied beings, the full weight of her breasts and her tummy and her lungs, 
rising and falling of their own accord without her thought. And that is how they awakened, tangled together, no longer running, no longer fighting, no longer screaming, no longer picking, no longer disjoined. The people who cannot remember how the story begins or who who argue about which beginning is right and which beginning is wrong, they all agree that she and the fisherman stayed that way for many a year and would go to the ocean together, and she would draw her finger against the surface of the waters, and so easily would arise the fish, excited to see their long-lost friend, who once upon a time gave of herself to them, and so now she, they gave themselves to her. And the couple never wanted for food, and together they sang songs that sounded like heartbeats, and the waves themselves liked to listen to the listen, liked to listen to them sing. The people say that is true, and that is all they know. Thank you so much for listening to the Remembering and Reenchanting podcast. If you are enjoying what you are hearing, please subscribe, share, and leave us a review. I am always happy to hear from you, dear listener, to continue finding ways to connect the disconnected and go deeper on your own journey of remembering and re-enchanting with your communities, your organizations, and your families. I invite you to check out our courses and other community offerings via the Sequoia Samanvaya website. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn though I must admit I spend much more time working with really amazing people than crafting social media. If you want to work with me one-on-one or bring me to speak at your organization or family office, you can find out more at sarahjolina.com.